0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 13th of January 2013, entitled The Gospel in the Gates of Jerusalem. And the Bible reading is taken from Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 20. Here's Brother Steve Elliott. Put your hands up if you'd like to go to Jerusalem right now. Yeah? Okay, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1. (laughs) I'm sorry, but that's the best I can do tonight. Um, If I had the money and I could get the time off work, well, I'll be there. Um, But yeah, I'd just like us to have a look this evening at uh, the gospel in the gates of Jerusalem. You're probably wondering, what's that all about? Well, um, it's going to become clear um, as we go through uh, tonight, and um, what I'd like to do, uh we're gonna have a look at um one verse, well a couple of verses in uh, chapter three, but just to get the background, um we'll just start in Nehemiah chapter one, and uh we'll just read and uh we'll just get a, a little bit of the background. Um the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah, um, they overlap each other, okay, because they were both uh, in Jerusalem. Um after the, um, after the Jewish people came back from Babylon, um, and uh, remember that there was uh, a decree by Cyrus. This was prophesied by Jeremiah, which um, said that there would be 70 years in captivity, and then the Jews would go back. And uh, the Jews had gone back. Ezra was among them. He was in Jerusalem. And uh, the building of Jerusalem Uh, had started, and uh, they had um, started to build um, the temple, okay? Um, But uh, Ezra chapter 4 and verse 23, you don't have to go there right right now, but you you can have a look uh, later if you want. It just tells us basically that there was some opposition to the building of Jerusalem, okay? Um, They had sort of completed the temple, but the city hadn't really been rebuilt, and um, there was a lot of work to be completed, uh, but, and the, there was some opposition to the rebuilding, and uh, this opposition came through many different kinds of people. So, uh, there were the Samaritans, Ammonites, different people, Arabians, and um, the, um, the accusations really was that um, Jerusalem was an evil city, a bad city, And also that the Jews were going to build this wall, which was going to, in uh, in effect, stop taxes going to King Artaxerxes. It's a difficult name. Okay, so they had uh, requested from the king that um, that there would be a a decree made, and the building of the city would be stopped. Okay, and um, so this is what was happening. And uh, as I was reading about the history. I was thinking about, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, um, I uh, watched um, a video a few, um, a few nights ago. And once what's happening at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem today. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, the Temple Mount really has been given to the Muslims. And uh, they sort of own this area. And that's where they have their uh, Dome of the Rock. That's where they have their Al-Aqsa Mosque. Um, But you know the Temple Mount, underneath the Temple Mount, um, is the history of Israel. There are lots of remains um, from the second temple under there, probably from the temple that we're going to have a read about tonight. And um, the Muslims said that they wanted to um, uh, uh, re-cable put put new cables down um, in the uh, Arabic area, okay, and um, so what they've done is they've re- they've built really big and deep holes under the temple mounts, and um, in effect, what they've been doing is they've been digging up a lot of uh, proof that there was a second temple, and you see a lot of these Muslims really want to wipe out the memory of Israel from the past. They don't want that the, 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 the world would know that there was a second temple there and Israel have uh, got, got a history there. So what they've done is they're digging these holes up and a lot of this stuff um, from the temple is being dumped. And this is thousands of tons of rubbish and archaeological evidence has been dumped um, into the Kidron Valley. And um, the, uh, the Jewish religious Orthodox Jews have got really upset about this. And, um, you know, they're causing, um, you know, some real, um, an outcry about it. And they've been to these areas where this, um, has, this rubbish has been put. And they've taken um, evidence, arche- archaeological evidence from the Second Temple and from this temple that we're reading about tonight, to show that the Jews have been there. Um, but there is opposition even today, like there was in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, for Jerusalem to be rebuilt and for the Jews to live there. And uh, this is where Nehemiah is at. And um, so, in effect, in Ezra 4.23, it basically says that uh, this opposition caused um, force was, uh, was ke- uh, came upon uh, the Jews that were trying to rebuild it by force and to seize to seize it by power and force, and uh, this would um, probably mean that they started destroying again um, parts of the city. Okay, and uh, this is where Jeremiah, uh, sorry, where Nehemiah is at, and uh, Nehemiah um, heard of this in chapter one and he was shocked. I don't think Nehemiah would really be shocked at what happened when the Babylonians came in because we're talking a, you know, quite a few years after this. So Nehemiah would have known all about what had happened um, when the Babylonians came in, which is more than 70 years ago. And it says, uh, as we're gonna read in a minute, that, um, you know, that he was shocked at um, what happened to Jerusalem. It was burnt um, and, then, and the gates were destroyed and um, broken down, the wall was broken down of Jerusalem. And uh, this was in the year 444 BC, all right, 444 years before Jesus was born. So let's just have a look uh, at um, Nehemiah chapter 1. So that's a a background, okay, and uh, we'll we'll get a little bit more uh, knowledge as we read. Verse 1 says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hechaliah, And it came to pass in the month Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Okay, so his brethren, these are the ones that had first returned to Jerusalem. Okay, and he's getting news back now about Jerusalem and what's happened. And it says, And they said unto me, the remnants that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servants, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments. Nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Verse eight Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, is reminding the Lord now of his the promise that God gave to Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from hence and bring them into the place that I have chosen to set my name there. That's Jerusalem. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servants this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cup-bearer. So here we have Nehemiah. He realizes what's happened in Jerusalem. He realizes that the work has stopped, that the king uh, has brought a decree, okay? And uh, what, does he get, what does he do? He gets down on his knees and he prays to God and he confesses the sins of his people, okay? Um, chapter 2. Verse 1 says, and it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not known, uh, so I had not been before time sad in his presence. You know, to be sad in the presence of the king was very dangerous. Yeah? Um, And it says here, wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad? seeing thou art not sick. This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and I said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Verse 4. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. So we see here Nehemiah, um, he wants to go now. Okay, Ezra's been there already. The work has stopped. Nehemiah heard what's happened, gets on his knees and prays, and is asking that he can go personally himself to Jerusalem. The king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come unto Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me, according to the good hand of my God, upon me. Wonderful that, isn't it? He found favor in the king's eyes. And then it says in verse 9, Then I came to the governors beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me, see, so needed protection. When Sambalat the Horonites, and Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonites, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Nothing new under the sun there, is there? <laughs> so I came to Jerusalem and was there free. Days. So now Nehemiah is in that city he's the one he's been praying about, the one he's been weeping over, and now he's seeing it what it what it's what state it's in. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, And to the dung ports, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with with fire. Then I went unto the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall, and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Verse 17. Then said I unto them, ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste. The gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. You see, these walls were built for protection as well. Verse 18, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, what did they do? It says, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Okay, so this is where we're at. We're in Jerusalem, and Nehemiah now has got it in his heart, desire to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and to rebuild the gates. Chapter 3 and verse 1, we won't go any further, but it just says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and it says, And they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set it up and set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia. They sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. In chapter 3, there are ten gates of Jerusalem which are mentioned. Um, and each gate has a different name, which is unique. And it has a specific message. And we're going to have a look tonight at how the names of these gates, or at least one of them tonight, how it tells us about our Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. And we're going to have a look tonight at the Sheep Gate. And um, we've just read in verse 1 of chapter (coughs) 3 that they builded... The Sheep Gate. And this Sheep Gate speaks to us of the first gate that was built. Okay, It's mentioned first in verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the Sheep Gate. Out of all the ten, he mentions this one first. Why wasn't the East Gate, why wasn't the Fish Gate, Why wasn't the horse gate, why wasn't that mentioned first? Why was that the the gate that is mentioned first to be rebuilt? Why out of all these ten gates is this gate mentioned first? Well, the sheep gate speaks to us of sacrifice. Um, Hebrews 9 and verse 22 says... And without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. This was the gate which the sheep and the lambs, which were used in sacrifice, were brought through. Um, There was actually a um, market in Jerusalem, which would have been very close to the gate. They would have bought these lambs. And then when... Uh, these lambs were brought for sacrifice, they would have been brought through the sheep gate for the sacrifice. Um, Why was this gate? Why would it be mentioned first? You you know, there may be um, a reason behind it. Well, I believe that there was. And I believe that the reason is, is because everything with God starts with a sacrifice. Let me just uh, tell you some facts about sheep. Um, In the Bible, they're actually mentioned about 750 times, and they're the one animal that is most familiar in the Bible. Um, Sheep are actually well-suited for nomadic life. Um, There's not many soft and green areas around Israel. If you go there today and you try and find a nice, soft, green grass field to sit in, you won't find many. You may find some grass there, but underneath it's very rocky and it's not an easy place to find. But sheep, this is the, 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 the land, the arid land, the hard land that they live on. Um, sheep are actually very dependent animals. They depend upon their shepherd. They depend upon him for their pasture. Uh, they depend upon him for their water. And for their protection as well. The sheep um, also knew their shepherd's voice. Isn't that incredible? I believe that my dog, he knows my voice. But the sheep, they knew the voice of the shepherd because they were always with him in the fields. Um, And uh, the shepherd, he actually called his sheep by name. He knew each one of them. Um, So sheep were also, they were constantly used for sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people in Jerusalem. Um, I went on a tour when I was in Israel, and uh, this tour took me under the Temple Mount. And um, if you go to Israel today, you will see the Wailing Western Wall, and just to the left of it, there is an entrance where, where you can go on tours, and these tours will actually take you, under the temple and they're very interesting and um, I went on a tour which showed me the great massive stones okay that they built these walls with um, the the walls of Jerusalem that we're reading about and um, they're still there they're massive stones how they ever lifted them you know they didn't have JCB's in those days but these stones were absolutely massive. You will see the size of some of these stones from the Western Wall. But some of these other ones are actually bigger than those. And anyway, when I went uh, on this tour, they showed us um, a slab of stone, which was a marble stone. And they said that this was uh, a stone which, they, which was used as an altar to sacrifice the sheep. And you could actually see the stain of the blood still upon this stone. And uh, that's how many and how often sheep were sacrificed, okay, in Jerusalem. Um, Leviticus chapter 1 to chapter 7 is what has been called the handbook for sacrifice. And if you want to know about the sacrifice of animals and how it happened, Leviticus is the book to study. There were five different uh, sacrifices, there was the burnt, the cereal, the peace, the sin, and the trespass um, offering, okay? And lambs, sheep, were used in these sacrifices. Um, let's just turn to Leviticus 1. Keep your, your fingers in Nehemiah, but Leviticus chapter 1, and uh, let's just see something about the, um, the burnt sacrifice and how um, lambs were used. Okay, Uh, Leviticus chapter 1, and uh, we'll just take it up um, in verse 10. Well, this is basically um, speaking about, yeah, the sacrifice, um, the flocks. Uh, Verse 10, it says, And if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep, or of the goats, for a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring it a male without blemish. And he shall kill it on the side of the altar, northward before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall sprinkle his blood round about upon the altar. And he shall cut it into his pieces with his head and his fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water, and the priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet saviour unto the Lord. Okay, so here we have the burnt sacrifice and um, these offerings were taken from the flocks of the sheep, the lambs. Okay, um, Leviticus 23.5 describes um, the Passover lamb that was to be sacrificed as well. Okay. Uh, Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11 says this. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Um, So the sacrifice of the sheep was so important. Um, Many Israelites today, They don't know how to find forgiveness of sins. You'll see them today at the Wailing Wall. And you'll see them with their shawls upon their heads. You'll see them with their phylacteries. And you'll see them reciting um, prayers. And they actually read um, the um, the books of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah when they're praying at the wall. Um, But the Jews today, they don't know how to find forgiveness of sins. Um, Isn't that incredible? You know, one of the reasons why I believe that the return of Jesus Christ is so close is because Israel are back in the land. If we just turn to a prophecy in Hosea, um, and Hosea prophesies that there will be many days where Israel would not have a sacrifice. Um, Hosea chapter 4 Sorry, chapter three. Um, Hosea is um, comes after Daniel. That's quite an easy book to find, so that should help. And uh, chapter three, and uh, we just take it up in verse four. And uh, Hosea says, "For the children of Israel shall abide how many days? Many days without a king and without a prince." and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without teraphim. And then it says in verse 5, Afterward shall the children of Israel return, and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. And I believe that we are living around verse 4 and verse 5 here. You know, Israel are without a king. They're without a prince. And they've been many days without a sacrifice. Um, but it says that afterwards shall the children of Israel return. And we know today that the children of Israel are returning to the land. And um, it says that they're going to seek, and they're going to seek their Lord, their God, and David, their king. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We know today that there are roughly around maybe 10,000 Jewish Christians, Jewish believers, but there's going to be more. And there's going to come a time where they receive their Messiah, Jesus Christ, as their Savior. But it says, that Afterward shall the children of Israel return, And it says, and seek the Lord their God. They've returned right now. They're returning. And I believe that the coming of the Lord is very close. Um, And we know that they've been without a sacrifice for many years. And many Jewish people have died without salvation. The sheep gate speaks to us of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the sacrifice to end all sheep. Sacrifices, and this sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ is much better than any lamb or any sheep. These sheep's and these lambs could only cover people's sins, but Jesus Christ, He takes the sin away. Wonderful. Let me just run um, a few wonderful scriptures which give reference to Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah 53, and we are looking here at the Jewish scriptures. We're looking here at the prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? You know, Isaiah could look down the centuries He could look down the thousands of years and say, who's believed our report? He's given a prophecy here about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's saying, who is believing this report? Who's believing that that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God? A sacrifice for the Jews. Who has believed our report? But notice in verse 7, in verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not. His mouth. This is the Lord Jesus Christ in his humility. This is the Lord Jesus Christ in his sacrifice for the iniquities of his people, Israel. Who hath believed our report? John chapter 1 and verse 29. John 1 verse 29. And let's just have a look at the witness and testimony of John the Baptist when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 29, The next day John saith Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God. John the Baptist knew all about lambs. He knew all about sheep. He knew all about sacrifice. And when he saw Jesus... He said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And what does he go on to say? Which taketh away the sin of Israel. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says that he taketh away the sin of the world. So we see here that the sacrifice of the Lamb of God is greater and much better than any lamb or sacrifice any sheep can ever do for anybody. The Lamb of God, because he takes away the sin, not just of an individual. He takes away the sin, the Bible says, of the world. His sacrifice is sufficient for every person. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Wonderful. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. What a wonderful verse this is. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7 speaking about um, the Passover. In verse 7, it's speaking about purging out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. And then it says, For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And here, is the Lord Jesus Christ typified through the Passover. This is a time where the Jews, even today, they will rid their houses of um, unleavened bread and they will have a clear out. And if you go around uh, Israel around April time and you go around where they live, you will find around their, their homes, I found something nice once, something they threw out. I found a nice pair of shoes. But they, they, will, they throw out things, old things. These shoes, they didn't look too old to me. But they just threw them out into the rubbish. Uh, and this is what they do. And it's like they want to get the old and they want to get the old out. Out with the old, new with the in. This is what Paul is saying here with the Christian. As a Christian, it's out with the old and it's in with the new. The new man, the new birth. This is what it's all about. And here he's saying, speaking about Christ, our Passover, and then he says he's sacrificed for who? For us. It's tragic, really, that the modern versions will miss those last two words out. For us. But Christ Jesus was sacrificed for us, for you, for everyone, but especially for those who are Christians. Wonderful news. He's done it for us. The Sheep Gates speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say maybe this evening that you're a Christian. But did your Christian life, did it begin with a sacrifice? Did it begin with looking at the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God? who has been slain for you, for your sins as an individual. Because everything Starts with a sacrifice with God. It starts with a sacrifice. It started in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? Redemption. Did your Christian life, did it start with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Did you see Christ Jesus as crucified on that cross for your sins? Because if he didn't, then you need to go back to the cross. And you need to have a fresh look. Because he was sacrificed for you. I wonder this evening, do you know that he was sacrificed for you? Has Christ become your atoning sacrifice? 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No more do we need the blood of a sheep. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for each and every one. It's sufficient for you tonight if you're a Christian. If you have sinned against God, the blood is sufficient for us to have our sins forgiven, to be cleansed. Wonderful. What a wonderful God he is. So the sheep gate speaks to us of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it also speaks to us of sanctification as well. Let's just turn back to Nehemiah chapter 1. Sorry, chapter 3. And verse one, sanctification. We read in verse one. Then, Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. And then it says, they. What did they do? They sanctified it. What does it mean to sanctify? Basically, means to set it apart, doesn't it? To make it holy. To make it special. And this was the only gate, as far as we know, that was sanctified and that was set apart. This was the gate through which the sheep were to come through. This was a special gate. This gate was located in, um, around the northeast of the temple. But it was sanctified. And you know, this speaks to us of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the sanctified one. Hebrews chapter seven. Let's just have a, a look at our Saviour as the sanctified High Priest. Um, chapter seven, and let's just start here in um, verse twenty five. Says, Wherefore he, that's Jesus, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto him by unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make his intercession for them and in verse 26 for such an high priest became us who is holy harmless undefiled separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens well that's a sanctified savior tonight separate from sinners doesn't mean that he doesn't want to have anything to do with sinners. doesn't mean that he just wants to ignore sinners. No. It's saying that he is separate from sinners. He is separate from sin because he is sanctified. He is set apart from sin. He's holy. He's perfect. Just like the sacrificial lamb had to be perfect. Christ Jesus was also sanctified and he was perfect. Who else but Jesus Christ is good enough? Who else is sanctified on this earth tonight? Is the Pope? No. Is the Pastor? No. Are us people? No. We're not able to forgive people for their sins, it's only the sanctified one. Christ Jesus, who has never sinned, can save us. You know, Christians are also sanctified as well. Not that we have the power to forgive other people for their sins, but we are sanctified because Christ has made us holy. Um, That's how we're standing before him tonight if we're Christians. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 12. Hebrews 13 verse 12 says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Jesus was crucified on Calvary outside of the gate. And it says here that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. And if you're a Christian here tonight, you have been set apart. You have been sanctified by the blood. Of Jesus Christ. Wonderful, isn't it? That's your standing tonight. Not only does the sheep gate speak to us of sanctification, but lastly, it speaks to us of Jesus being the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. Nehemiah chapter 3. Let's just head back there for one look at Nehemiah chapter 3. And uh, notice that we started off in verse 1, didn't we? It speaks about the sheep gate. But notice in the last verse, in, chapter, in verse 32, the sheep gate is mentioned again. It's mentioned twice. It's mentioned in the verse 1, and it's also mentioned here at the end in verse 32. And it says, And between the going up of the corner unto the sheep gate repaired the goldsmiths and the merchants these are the people that were repairing the sheep gate so we see here the sheep gate at the beginning but we also see it as well at the ending as well and this speaks to us of our lord jesus christ as the alpha and the omega the beginning and the ending um, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Isn't it incredible how we always head back to Hebrews? Well, you know Hebrews has a lot to say and a lot of light to shed upon the Old Testament. But Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, we've just got a couple um, more scriptures just to look at. Um, Hebrews 12 and verse 2. And it says, Verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And in verse 2, Looking unto who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who are we looking at tonight? We're looking unto Jesus. Why? Because he is the author. He is the beginning, the start of your salvation. If you didn't come to Jesus for your salvation, you need to go back to him. You need to go back to the beginning Back to the Calvary, back to the cross, on your knees and repent. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We see that here that we are to look to Jesus because he is the author, but he's also the finisher of our faith as well. He is the one who's going to get us through. He's the one who's going to sustain us through our Christian walk. I don't know about you, but I've had some really hard times as a Christian. They may get worse, I don't know. But I know this, that Jesus Christ is not only the author of my salvation, but he's the finisher of it as well. And he is gonna gonna get me through to the end. And one day I'm gonna stand before Jesus Christ and I'm going to see the finisher of my faith. You are as well. Wonderful. And if you're going through a hard time tonight, you know what you need to do? You need to look unto Jesus. Why? Because he is the author and he's also the finisher of your faith. And he is the sustainer of your faith as well. He's going to get you through. Don't turn your back and go the other way. He's promised that he will get you through. So Christ is the starting and is the finishing point of salvation. Philippians 1 and verse 6. Philippians 1 and verse 6. And here is a wonderful scripture. And I, I sent this by text to a dear brother of mine who, um, you know, he's, he's had a few, he's had a few um, hard times, a few hard days. But I try to encourage him. The start of this new year with this scripture, which says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, until the day when he appears, or we go to be with him. It says here that he began a good work in you. He began your salvation in the beginning, and it says here that he's going to perform it. He's going to finish it. He's going to sustain you until the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that encouraging? Encouraging to me when I read this. He's going to get us through. Confidence is to be found in the one who will be there at the end. You know, we can get encouragement from each other, can't we? But we're going to get through with Jesus Christ because he's going to be there for us at the end. Wonderful. You know the book which mentions the lamb the most in the Bible? Pardon? Thank you, Peter. Been looking at his concordance. 10 out of 10. The lamb is mentioned more times in the book of Revelation than any book in the Bible. It's mentioned 27 times. And I'd like to turn to Revelation chapter 5 as we Use this as our closing uh, reading tonight. And I want you to just go with this thought tonight of what's going to happen in the future. Uh, The sheep gate, it speaks to us of the Alpha and the Omega. Let's just read chapter 5. Verse 1 says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel, Proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, nor under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And what happened next? And he says, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, have prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. We're going to see this. We're going to be part of this one day. And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of my right hand, sorry, out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps, golden vials full of odours, which are the prayers of saints. These are your prayers. Verse 9. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. It doesn't matter tonight where you are from. You can be from South America. You can be from the Middle East. We're all going to be there, friends all those who have been redeemed. It says, by the blood of the Lamb, every tongue and people and nation has made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. There's going to be a thousand years, dear friends, if you're a Christian. We're going to reign <laughs> upon this earth with the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. And he, the Bible says that his law His word is going to go forth from Jerusalem. And we're going to be there. We're going to be reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. We won't be able to number them saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under, under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and who else and, uh, and unto the lamb forever and ever. For the four beasts said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Everybody. Everybody is going to be praising and worshipping the Lamb of God. Why? Because he takes away the sin of the world. He is the only one who is worthy. Praise God. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we just want to thank you tonight, Lord, for your precious word. We thank you that we can, Lord, see in the sheep gates, We can see many things that show us our Lord Jesus Christ, that show us his sacrifice, that show us that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We thank you, dear Lord, that one day that we will see that lamb who has been slain from the foundations of this earth, and we're going to worship him. We're going to sing, Worthy is the Lamb. Thank you, dear Lord, for that. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord, there may be one here tonight who has never known the Lamb of God. And we pray tonight that they may see Jesus Christ, that they may look unto the author and the finisher of salvation. We pray that they may see Jesus Christ as who he is, the Redeemer. And, Lord, for us who are Christians, we pray that we may live those sanctified lives. Help us, we pray to glorify Jesus. Amen.